Hi there, and welcome to a new episode of the Everything Accordion podcast. Before we dive into this episode, I'd like to ask you, if you haven't done so yet, to follow the podcast wherever you're listening to it, whether it's on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, rate it and perhaps even review it. This helps really a lot. If you'd like to support the podcast in a different way, at the end of the description of the episodes, you will find a link for sending in voice messages, for reaching out, or also to support this podcast with a monthly donation. This helps a lot in creating new episodes, inviting new guests, and improving the quality of the podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening to it, for following it, for liking it on social media, and feel free to reach out with suggestions and ideas and perhaps even guest ideas or topics, also for Career Friday episodes, which I will be releasing a bit more frequently now that I have a bit more time to dedicate to the podcast. A small update. Now the chat over virtual coffee on my website is completely free. So if you'd like to have a chat about your goals, about your projects, about your doubts, about your problems, your ideas, maybe you'd like an input on something, just head on to my website. There's a link in the description of this episode and book a session with me and I'll be happy to talk to you. So yeah, let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to a new episode of Career Friday on the Everything Accordion podcast. And for this episode, we have a very special guest who I have been following on social media, especially on Instagram a lot. We have today a pianist and entrepreneur who also created a career management and development program for artists. She also plays a lot of concerts. I just went to her website and it's just like, Full. <laughs> it's mind, mind, mind blowing. She also teaches um, entrepreneurship in different conservatories and is also invited as a speaker at different workshops. So, yeah, really a portfolio career of those that, you know, uh, I think many people would really love to have. So, it's my great pleasure to be speaking with Michelle Lean. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. It's a great pleasure, and I'm really excited to dive into some topics about career management and development. Um, would you introduce yourself briefly for the audience that doesn't know you? Yes. Um, well, I think you said most of it, actually. You've done your research. Um, but uh, I'm a Canadian pianist who moved over to Europe 10 years ago and uh, started my career from scratch, uh, which was... Uh, the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> um, it was a lot of turmoil, um, both inner and outward. And uh, finally, as you as you shared, I've discovered and built a portfolio career, which I get a lot of energy from. Um, I've also had to come against a lot of opinions of people who think you should only do one thing. Um, so that's been really interesting to navigate, as I've also wondered if it's, you know, how much time and energy do I have to put into all these different areas and is it worth it and and was it leading anywhere? 
uh, a lot of big questions. Anyway, this is going to be a lot more than an introduction, but that, those are the thoughts that I have as I pursued this uh, freelance career. And I'm on faculty at two universities, like you said, and uh, that also gives me a lot of joy to work with the next generation of students, uh, musicians, and start to teach them mindsets that are going to set them up for success as prosperous, thriving artists rather than this starving artist mentality that we were taught um, or not taught anything at all. I don't know. I'm sure you have a similar experience to mine where in in school, we didn't learn anything to prepare ourselves for the real world, so we had to figure it all out ourselves and uh, to varying degrees of success. <laughs> so here we are. Here we are. I live in the Netherlands. I play, and luckily, because of my location, I'm very easily in another country. So I live five minutes from Belgium, for example. So I, I get to play a lot of places, and it's a lot of fun. Amazing. And something that I feel, and I talk to some young musicians is being afraid. I also had that fear because I was considering going to Toronto to do my DMA hey. oh. uh, in a, a accordion performance, but moving continents without actually knowing anyone there, you know, it's kind of scary. So um, chapeau to you for doing such a move and like starting on a different continent. It's, I find it very brave. And I find it all, it's also something that's limiting a lot of young musicians because they might be scared of changing environments or, you know, they take the opportunity of doing the Erasmus exchange, but then they have kind of a security of returning back exactly. to their place. So, you know, you kind of know what will happen afterwards, at least the next immediate step. Yeah. How was this journey for you? So you said you came to a new continent, you had to start over and... Did you consider already, like, was it something that you were always interested in, this business and management side of being a musician? Yeah. Or was it something you developed because of being brought with this challenge of starting anew in a, in a different place? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting what you're saying with the Erasmus Exchange, because for me, I think that's how I also internally created safety for myself by saying, okay, I'm just going to go to Europe for two years then I'm going back. And I even told my, my professor at my university in Montreal, like save a spot for me for the doctorate. I'm coming back in two years. I actually saved my entire apartment. I subletted my apartment. I kept my grand piano. I was just, I, and when I look back, it was my way of uh, minimizing the risk that it is to jump, you know, to a new continent. I was like, no, no, no. I'm just going to go explore for a couple years. And then I'm coming back. Cause this is what is safe. And this is what I know. Um, but then anyway, once I got over here, and had to start the whole thing from scratch, things kind of, I could see the potential. And wherever you start to plant seeds is where you're eventually going to reap a harvest. So it's very uh, sad if you start planting seeds and then you turn around and leave before you get the harvest. So I started to have True. enough exciting things happen after a couple of years that it was like, okay, no, it's just, this is worth staying for. Um, in terms of the business side of things, I was kind of introduced to this idea of entrepreneurship. I started listening to a few different speakers like Seth Godin, um, Marie Forleo, uh, a lot of motivational speakers, people talking about this idea of, you know, this unique selling point of an artist that drove me insane. I was like, I have no idea what's unique about me. Like, give me a break. I'm a pianist. We're all playing the same rep. I don't know what makes me special. I just want to play the piano. Please don't make me think about this. Like, it's <laughs> just like, like pulling teeth to try and find this unique thing about me. And so, I mean, I kind of started digging in, learning more about that. And then the whole business side, for me, it was all just always about mindset and motivation. That's always been something that I think my strengths are encouraging and um, helping other people see the potential in themselves. And then it was, it was starting to take that and turn it towards myself. 
because uh, it's very easy for me to encourage other people. But of course, when it's towards yourself, you have all of the um, emotions and the fear of rejection that you're coming up against. Um, so uh, I had to learn how to kind of teach myself through that. And I, I've read like a ton of books that also helped. Yeah, absolutely. And I find it fascinating what you're saying about, you know, helping others. But it's kind of... For some reason, it's easier. I find it easier to ask questions, difficult questions of others. How do you see your career? Like, what's your, you know, long-term vision or where do you want to be or so on? But when I ask myself those questions, and I'm taking out my journal to ask me these questions. I can even sit there for an hour and just look at the paper because, you know, somehow you are, yeah, taking responsibility of your own path and then also... All, all sorts of doubts come in, and when you ask yourself, "What am, what will happen if?" But then, what if? You know. So I mean, that, that yeah, it's really a lot about mindset. The resistance is so normal, and we know the fear. I was just, I just had this thought this morning. I was, I was considering writing um, a, something for someone else. It was a pitch or a proposal or something, and I was like, I can rattle that thing off in ten seconds. But at the same time, there's someone that I want to pitch to. And I, for the life of me, cannot write this message. So I'm realizing the trick is to make it not about you. Pretend that you're writing a recommendation for this other person, also named Michelle, mm -hmm. and you're just saying like, hey, Michelle would love to come play on your show, blah, 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 here's about her. Because it's way easier to make it this objective third party thing rather than it's too close. So I feel like I just this morning discovered this hack. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm going to test it out. I'll let you know. <laughs> you know, I actually heard I don't remember who was it. I've heard this story from a famous actor, uh, but he was also doing those things and kind of pretending to be another person. So he was reading the scripts and calling the studios, pretending to be someone else and saying, well, Mr. I don't know, let's say DiCaprio that doesn't really like the script or, or, or something like that. Or, you know, or, but then he would screw up by saying his, his real name. And who am I speaking to, to this person? Like, Oops. <laughs> but yeah, probably that's, that's something that's, um, for some reason, there's this thing that for somebody else, it's easier, yeah. right? Than for, for yourself. I don't know if it has something to do with being musicians and being perfectionists. Or the the value of what we do, right? Because how how can you determine the value of what we do in that moment, in that space? Yeah. You know, a concert is just there. It's not a product that you a vase, a beautiful vase that you buy and put it there. You yeah. know, so it's there. Yeah, that's very very interesting. But do let me and us the listeners know how it goes. We'll be following you this experiment on Instagram. I think the perfectionist <laughs> thing definitely ties into it because I don't know. I mean, all most artists I think are quite sensitive people. That's probably why we became artists in the first place. So then it's just so tough that our industry is one where rejection is everyday life. Like we constantly get rejected as artists, rejected, you know, that's a big word. You can define that in a bunch of different ways, but like, you know, you do an audition or you write an email and you try and get into a concert series or you ask someone, you ask anyone, anything, or, you know, even somebody leaves a negative comment on your video. Um, this, these are all versions of rejection and we are probably the people out of society that sh should not have to deal with that the most because we're the sensitive ones, you know, <laughs> like... We're the, true, we're the creatives true. putting out like our little, you know, glimpses into the world, hoping that they'll fly somewhere. And then people are like giving all of their opinions and criticism. So 
Um, it's too bad. I don't, I've tried to work on my resilience, but obviously when I wanted to pitch to this, this show that I want to play on, all this resistance came up and I just thought if I was telling one of my clients to do this, I would be like, just do it right now. Just write it. I can literally tell you the script. I can tell you what to write, but somehow when it's about me, it just, it comes too close. So it's, yeah, I mean, that's why mindset is so important. Resilience, overcoming this rejection, but it's definitely the perfectionist thing because you just want to be good. You just want to be good and you want everyone to love you and to accept you and for you to be acknowledged as someone who belongs to your, your industry and to be recognized for your talent. And, you know, I just want like a pat on the head and for everybody to say, you're great. You belong. And I'm like, great. Thank you so much. You know? So I think like, <laughs> yeah, fearless artist, you know, our company is called the fearless artist. You have to learn how to like, you, we don't try and belong to the table. We just create our own table. We're like, this is who I am. I'm showing up with what I have. I'm going to look for opportunities. And if I don't fit at someone's table, then, okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll make my own. And you'll invite other people to your your yeah, table. Exactly. The collaborations. Exactly. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. To, like this morning I woke up and I looked at my uh, YouTube feed. And when I saw a comment of someone commenting on a video I did like 15 years ago, maybe. And they wrote, played well, but, you know, and that somehow touched me. I don't know why, because all of the other comments were like, oh, great, amazing, so on and so on. I was feeling, and that one comment, yeah, played great, but it's too nervous or something like that. I'm like, who are you? I started looking, no, but I started looking for excuses. I'm like, no, but it was 15 years ago. And I'm like, why am, why am I excusing myself in front of someone who I don't even yes. know, who just randomly looked at, at my video on yes. YouTube? So yeah, it's, it's, it, I agree it has a lot to do with this rejection, probably because we internally are kind of, you know, we're working so hard on our art and being the best versions of ourselves. Yeah. And if someone comes, comes up and says, you know, something or doesn't accept your proposal, for example, for a concert series or so on, there's always that imposter syndrome behind your, your head that tells you you're not enough, yes. right? Um, so yeah, that's, but I think that's a battle that most musicians face. And as you're saying, you can create your own space or, you know, as you did with your company, and we will talk about the fearless artist, um, you empower and help musicians by also exposing yourself you know many times when i do these episodes for the career friday or when i write blog posts on my website i kind of talk to myself through them because i, I say well that's the strategy that's you know what you should be doing in order to achieve this this and this and at the same time i'm telling myself that you know so it's yeah. I mean, my um, story is like, I wore a key around my neck that said fearless for three years. So with the whole fearless artist, like I'm the number one person who needs to hear this message the most, like be fearless, put yourself out there, exactly. get ready to be seen and visible and rejected. And with that YouTube comment, I mean, I've been releasing um, my own songs that I was writing and recording. And so to get playlisted i was submitting through a website called submit hub so you put your song you send it to these curators you pay for them to listen to 30 seconds and decide if they're going to put you on a playlist the amount of responses that you get of people giving you their random opinions about your voice your production your arrangements all the stuff and it's like you have to make sure you're in the right mindset to read that because 
The first question I always have is who are these people to think that they have the right to come in with their little opinions and criticize, like, are they putting out music? Are they sharing their gifts with the world? Are they exposing themselves? Or are they just sitting behind their screens putting little comments about, oh, your voice didn't match with my list this time. You know, like, who is this person telling you that he felt you were nervous? I'm sorry, where's your video of you playing the organ? Like, <laughs> exactly, we, yeah. <laughs> we, can't, we can't risk taking feedback from people that we would not want to become like. We, But, yeah, uh, would, would you rather, I completely agree, but would you rather not read those, like, any comments at all, or would you work try to work on yourself to kind of react in a different manner to the less positive or completely negative. I think feedback, in order to take feedback, it needs to be from someone you trust and someone that has mm -hmm. something that you want. So if it's and a teacher, if you get the same piece of feedback from three piano teachers, like your, your rhythm is wrong or your articulation sucks or whatever it is, and you hear that multiple times, then you can be like, okay, I need to work on this. <laughs> But because you know they can play and they've studied it. But if you're getting random comments mm -hmm. from YouTubers and you're like, I'm sorry, are you even a musician? Do you even have a trained ear? Do you know what you're talking about? Or you just think you know what you're talking about? That is dangerous to start letting all these opinions mm -hmm. get mixed up because it's like, where's your authority coming from to make these comments? True. And I also find that it sucks a lot of energy. Yeah. Yeah out of you, you know, to like to be seeing this. So something that, you know, Joe Rogan says all the time on his podcast when he speaks with, uh, with his guests who are comedians or musicians or so on, that he doesn't read any comments or anything at all, which, you know, saves him a lot of time. And because there's this will to kind of defend yourself yeah. in front of someone who, who might even not be a real person, yeah. you know. So, yeah, about the feedback, absolutely. I, I agree it needs to come from a person you respect yeah. and from a person that's competent enough to give that feedback. And it needs to be uh, con constructive feedback, not destructive. Because exactly. otherwise, like, what's the point of even opening your mouth and saying Exactly. And I think right. you hit the nail on the head with this energy thing. If it's sucking energy from you, good feedback will inspire you. I just had a coaching with a, a pianist friend of mine and he listened to my playing. He gave me helpful comments that make me want to go work it at the piano. That is good feedback. That is when it, this is improving me as an artist. It's improving my interpretation. It's improving my understanding of the piece. Awesome feedback. And I trust him. So that is something, it's not that we don't want opinions of people from, uh, of our playing. It's that you want to make sure that it's grounded and uh, that they know what they're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So let's go on and talk a little bit about your uh, your company, the Fearless Artist and the Fearless Artist Mastermind, and all of the courses and programs that you are holding together with your yeah, friend. Yeah, so uh, Deanna Petre is my co-founder. Um, she was a freelancer in Paris for 10 years, studied at Juilliard, plays viola. She has now since relocated to the States. She's in Minnesota. So we have uh, a membership for musicians um, where people come on group call. Uh, we have a, a community Slack on community and it's basically just a really healthy place to come and air out uh, what's going on, make some career goals, get clarity on what's important to you, be surrounded by like-minded people to encourage you, inspire you, have great conversations like this one. And uh, on top of that, we do uh, masterminds, which are short accelerated programs of either six weeks or 12 weeks long. And that's when you pick something that you want to accomplish and you go after it, whether it's your album or your website or your uh, grant applications or 
you know, podcast. A lot of people come on and they want to do content creation. A lot of people get overwhelmed at like, how do I start showing my work as an artist? So that's something that we really help people on. And it's the fearless artist because ultimately I think that when we have so much resistance, it's related to this fear, fear of not being good enough, fear of judgment of other people, fear of judging ourselves, you know, recovering perfectionists. Um, so it's really just that idea of, you know, feel the fear, do it anyway, and put yourself out there, look for the opportunities and see what happens. Great. And I will link the website and also your um, Instagram yeah, account in the description of the episode so that the listeners can go and check you out. And maybe if your listeners, if you have something that you are working on, but again, have this fear of rejection, maybe Michelle in the end can help you out with this and you can join their mastermind. What, what are some of the um, most, how can I put it, not life-changing, but some of the most memorable changes that you have seen from members that joined the sprint? Oh man. Um, I would say they just become like mindset shifted, empowered, courageous. You know, one of the first, one of my friends who did our mastermind, the first round has now since, um, applied for grants, created his own foundation and is now commissioning, uh, wind bands to write music for saxophone that he's premiering like around the country. And he always says this started with TFA, the fearless artist, because in that program, he learned, okay, I have the keys to my career. I am responsible. I'm going to go after what I want. I'm not going to sit and wait for the phone to ring. I'm going to make it ring myself. And he got super proactive and it just kind of shifted how he viewed his career. Um, that's just like a beautiful story every time every time I think of him and I see him just doing so well. Um, we've had people like start to realize how to pitch for concerts, that they can get concerts when they approach people with confidence. Um, a lot of people just are overcoming this like why me or I'm not good enough. Um, so I think it's just about learning like you cannot be your own ceiling. You have to let other people say no to you. If you're saying no to yourself, you're just shooting yourself in the foot, you know, so those are the most beautiful stories where we see the lights come on in people's eyes and they, they realize that they do have the possibility to make things happen. Because otherwise, this career it just feels like it's chance. You're like, oh, I have to sit around and wait for someone to tell me that I'm good enough. It's like, what if you just believe that you're good enough and you go after something? You know? Yeah. I mean, it would be the same as buying a lottery ticket and holding it there, hoping that, you know, that's the winning one. Exactly. Without actually, like, doing yeah. And yeah, I completely agree. Perhaps, would you say that the accountability factor and the fact that in this sprint, the fact that you have a timeline, that kind of spurs you into action? And actually, I think the beginning of all of all is just like taking action, right? Even from like the small steps. So if you're like, okay, I want to perform at the... I don't know, Chamber Music Hall of the Musikverein in Vienna. It's a big goal and it's not impossible, but, you know, you need to kind of get this big goal, make it into smaller steps and find what are the immediate actionable steps that you can take. And perhaps having a group of people that every single week you meet and they ask, so how's the progress going? Like, did you do that? Did you contact that? Did you... I mean, I, I would feel pushed to actually do that. Yeah, I mean... So, it's yeah, it's being being active, taking action. And that I think that also gives you, like, then the, uh, the will to actually pursue your goals, right? And when you see that it's possible, it, it's just like this snowball effect. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. You're you're describing it better than I can. Um, studies show that when you <laughs> set a goal and you write it down and you tell someone, you are way more likely to actually achieve that goal. You have to break it down and get clear on those steps, like you're saying. And you know, we had someone just do our sprint mastermind, and he said, "I'm a pretty motivated person, and I couldn't believe how the accountability of the group got in my head during the week." And it's like, oh, like you know, in four days, I'm gonna have this call, and I need to come on and let people know what I'm doing. Not in a shame way, like you didn't do what you said you were going to, but like just an accountability way. Like this is what's going on. I said I was going to do this thing. All of these excuses came at me this week. Everyone's busy. There's always going to be something that gets thrown in there you didn't expect, but you're still finding a way to make it happen. And like, I think that this career is about grit. You just have to push and like say, what do you actually want? Find the time to make it happen. And you know what I've realized is that it doesn't actually cost so much time the most difficult thing is overcoming the resistance. So like I've been on trains sending brand pitches on my phone while I'm standing in a line to get off the train. It's not that I don't have time to do it. It's that I need to convince myself I'm good enough to approach this brand and say, do you want me to create content for you as an influencer? All this like uncomfortable feelings that you have to get over, but it's not, it's not hard to take your phone out of your pocket and start messaging people. That's not the problem. No. It's actually all of the scenarios that we're building in our heads. Oh, but, you know, they're approached by thousands of people. How am I special? Exactly. You know, so yeah, it's, it's all of this self-talk that comes into this. But, uh, yeah, coming back to, you know, because something like for you and me, I, I see that you're a very goal-oriented and ambitious person. Uh, I consider myself that as well. Um, and, you know, it's it's about, like, yeah, taking action, going, doing, like fighting this urge. Well, not urge, but this resistance, resistance that we might have. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, having the urge to achieve our, our success, whatever it might be. What does, like, what's your vision on success for, for today's musician? Oh, man. I mean, you can define success in so many different ways. For some people, it's the big concerts, it's winning the competitions, it's it's what we've been told is successful. But I'm kind of more interested in success being, do you feel like when you wake up, you are contributing? Do you feel like your perp you know what your purpose is or you have a sense that like you have a unique gift and a voice and you're using it to make a difference in the people around you, the community around you, that you're not afraid to show what you're doing? I think that's success. Um, you know, people tell me that I'm successful, but my inner, my inner person is not satisfied. So I'm like, am I, I don't know what's success. How do you define it? Like, can I say this many concerts is successful? This much income is successful. At what point am I going to be satisfied? And I think as you're saying, like we're driven people, I don't know if there's ever going to be a day when I wake up and I'm like, yes, <laughs> you know, but what I can do is like, okay, I made a difference today and that's being successful. I was not afraid to show my face and to say, this is what I think. I think that's being successful. Cause when you, you know, James Clear, Atomic Habits, when you take those steps and you make those choices over and over every day, just to show up and share what you're doing, then the growth is exponential. You're learning consistency. You're learning to overcome what people think of you. You say, you know, go with God and bless you. If you don't like it, let's find the people who do like me. And I think that's much more interesting definition of success. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, so from what you're saying, I'm grasping, but for you, it's actually the journey, not the results. I am trying so hard to learn that because I've been dealing with this perfectionism thing my entire life. So if I can teach myself to enjoy this process, and I've, I've definitely grown in this, um, then I think that is the key because it's amazing what you can do when you just keep showing up. But these perfectionist tendencies we have, like, you know, all or nothing, it's like I'm going to run 15K and then burn out and get injured. But what if you just did, what if you just did two or three every day? Well, that's not good enough because we're, we, we, you know, you need to practice eight hours a day or else you're not serious. You're not taking it seriously. And like all this, all these mindsets that we were taught yeah. as, as kids. And so then I just didn't practice at all. I couldn't handle the eight hours a day. I totally just gave up on it. And so then I just hid. And so now I'm learning a, a little bit more of like a middle road and that's, that's getting me somewhere. So that's more interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I also loved the social media challenge that you posted, hashtag kill perfectionism. Yes. Would, you, would you like to talk to the listeners who don't know about this challenge? Killing perfectionism in classical started it a few years ago. Could not believe the response. We had 70 people join the first time. The rules are simple. You post your playing every day for 10 days, but you're only allowed to take five takes max and you have to post the best one. So this trains you to like, A, stop overthinking, pick something and, and play it. Two, who cares what people think? You're gonna, just going to have to get used to that uncomfortable feeling of hitting post. Three, once you do start posting day four, five, six, and you get a lot of nice people responding and commenting and engaging, and you see that some of your reels have actually gone viral, and then maybe you actually booked a concert because somebody thought how great you were. You know, these are the stories that have come back to me. Then you think, mm -hmm. wow, why was I ever not doing this? Why was I so afraid to show myself? And it's the social proof of like 70 other people doing it at the same time. You don't feel like you're sticking your neck out alone. You don't look like the idiot being, you know, bragging about your playing. It's just like, no, we're all doing it. It's a challenge, you know? So I think those parameters made it just like such a really fun thing for people. And people love doing it whenever we, we run in. So yeah, it trains you. It's a training ground. Get over what people think about you and just get used to being seen. And like, I think artists, we forget. We literally have a job where we are going on stages. We have spotlights on us. This is part of our job. So why are we so uncomfortable to put yourself online? It's just another version of a stage. It is literally a digital stage giving you access to thousands and thousands of people and this is how you can build your career and be seen. So, um, yeah, you just got to get used to that feeling, uncomfortable feelings. Yeah, and I also love the fact that it's it's kind of like a game, you know, when you're playing together with 70 people. And it's, I, I guess, many of us musicians, we just take social media and marketing and putting ourselves there just too seriously because we have a reputation to defend, because we have an image that we created of ourselves and we don't want to kind of go away from yeah. there. Uh Guilty yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of that many, many times, but this year I said, okay, I need to be posting at least once a day something, whatever, a story, a video, a reel, a TikTok, a YouTube short, longer videos. And, you know, I, for this year, and I would like to ask you about how you set your goals, um, because this year I tried something different. So I, I've written, uh, I don't know if you know the Mindset Mentor podcast. So there, there was one episode which is about New Year's resolutions, but it's more about what you want to achieve for the next year. So I wrote down, I don't know, 70, 80 goals, like, you know. Um, All right, let's go. 
like 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 the game is like the rule of a game is don't think what's real or what's possible yeah. like whatever if if money wasn't the problem if like job wasn't a problem anything so you just write all of them down and this year james clear method yeah. i wanted to decompose destructure my bigger goals into smaller goals so i wrote down what i need to do monthly what I need to do weekly and what I need to do daily. Okay. And the daily is in my agenda, so I'm just opening it and, you know, in my planner. So I'm, I'm seeing every single day and I'm looking, okay, did I do this? Yes. Did I do that? No, not yet. So daily for me is pitch one concert, except for Sundays where I take a day off completely. Like, I don't know, work out 10 to 30 minutes per day, practice two to three hours per day. Because I wasn't doing that I was when I had time. But it's never about having time. It's about making time for doing stuff. So, yeah, for me, then the weekly goals could be write one blog post, record one podcast episode or publish one podcast episode, post um, a long video or, you know, whatever. And then monthly goals and so on and so on. And uh, we're, what, one month in 2024 so far? I think I'm doing a good, not 100%, but 80 to 90% keeping up with my goals. So how is your process of setting goals? Oof, you just inspired me. Um, I mean, I, I've also been a little bit haphazard with stuff. I, I mean, kind of a funny story. Like, this is why we have Fast Forward, our membership, because every two weeks you come on and you're like, hey, what actually happened the last two weeks? Because life is just such a blur. <laughs> so... If I heard someone say, like, if you don't have time scheduled to think about your life, you are too busy because then you're wasting resources, you're wasting energy, you're probably working really hard on something that's not yielding results. So I kind of got serious about that and I started thinking more about like, how am I spending my time? So something I'm using now is a time audit app, Clockify. Um, I'm also getting serious about practicing, you know, tracking the practice time. Because I think I've been someone in the past very emotional with my goals. Like, oh, I feel like it's going well. I feel like it's not going well. And it's like, well, actually, let's just like look at the facts. Like, are you, how many times are you at the gym every week? And, you know, are you actually eating properly if you say, you know, you're not seeing results? And like, so these things, I'm, I'm getting more serious about tracking. Um, of course, the new year has brought like a surge of um, inspiration and motivation. Um, I really like breaking that down. So anyway, I was going to say, um, 2023, I had made some big goals and then literally put no system behind actually achieving them. So then I opened my 2023 goals in December and I was like, Oh, like that didn't even come close to happening. <laughs> so then I'm like, okay, I need a plan behind 2024. Like you were saying, breaking it down to monthlies and weeklies. That's super helpful. Um, it's yeah, something that I'm kind of adapting in the moment. There's like so much. When you are adding too much to your plate in the beginning, it's like, okay, you got to make sure that you don't take on too much at once because then that's the risk of like crashing and burning. Um, so that's where accountability comes in. Like I met a friend at the gym today. I'm not skipping when I know she's waiting for me at 9 a.m., you know, those kind of things. Yeah. And then practicing. Mm -hmm. It's uh, I have a friend who has this rule where he's like ready for a concert one month before the concert. That's a whole new way of working for me that I'm trying to adopt. So those kind of things. I'm thinking more like long-term planning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I find it very useful also to have it like I wrote them on, 
two sheets of paper and I put them in my kitchen on a board. So every single morning when I'm drinking coffee, I'm looking at them because sometimes we write the goals and you just throw it away somewhere and then you just pick it up and at the end of the year. That's exactly what happened to me last year. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Now I have to go upstairs and I've got a a whiteboard and every day you read your goals. Mm -hmm. Like, what am I doing with my life? (laughs) Focus. We We need blinders because there's too much information coming in. There's too many good ideas. And then you wouldn't put systems behind them, so they just are little seeds that never bloom. I think I think your idea is brilliant. I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure I break things down weekly. It's a system that I'm working on. I don't know if it's going to be successful in the long term, but so far I'm keeping myself accountable. Also because I'm um, I feel quite good being on my own. I have some I have friends, <laughs> you know. Um, but at the same time, I feel that, you know, I need to be able to count on myself when it comes to accountability and responsibility for my actions. Yeah. Um, also, because not all of these friends, uh, I can actually ask them, could you like call me or whatever to ask me if I've been working out three times per week? I mean, it's not their job. So, you know, um, I'm trying to be more honest with myself, which is, again, a task in itself. Because then you'll be like, there was this viral video everywhere on social media where, like, end December, in December they were with goals, drink less alcohol, and they would they, they would cut out less and just drink alcohol. Okay, done. You know, so uh, <laughs> I wouldn't... Um, yeah, I mean, it's something that can be adapted, but... It's an experiment with myself. I just want to see if it's something that will bring me closer to the goals. I love that. Cool. So I wanted to ask you a couple more things about some tips for, you know, musicians who are looking into or have absolutely no idea about marketing and networking. Like what would be your top three tips of the top of your mind for those who are struggling with networking and also marketing because they seem such huge names, especially for musicians who maybe didn't encounter and they're thrown all over the place, you know, on social media and so on and so on. So like if you could say in a couple of words, like simplify what does marketing for musicians mean and what's networking for musician means okay marketing is storytelling it's telling your story so stop worrying about finding this unique thing about you and just realize you already are unique like there's literally nobody else like you so it's about discovering your strengths and skills discovering them because they are already there and then of course you can craft them shape them and then find a way to tell that to other people instagram is great you know social media because you can share you can talk on your stories so I think marketing is really just bringing people into your world and saying, this is what I do and here's how you can hire me. We want to always create content strategy around how do you want to get hired? That's what we work with our clients on um, when they think of how do I, how do I actually show what I do? And then one book that's super helpful, Show Your Work by Austin Kleon, where you literally just take bite-sized pieces of whatever you're doing during the day, documenting your process and putting it out to the world. And then you're going to be able to find other people who are like-minded and you know, that's the beauty of the community. Um, and then do that consistently in terms of networking. I think networking is really about being proactive and reaching out to people. So I would just write down a list of 10 to 20 people that are in your industry or in your community and start to engage with them intentionally regularly. And like, 
two top tips every birthday you're saying a happy birthday every new year happy new year you're liking their posts on instagram you're asking them how their vacation was in in london and you're you're reminding them that you exist and then the the dual effect of that is that when you engage with them online your content will show up first on their algorithm so now you're reinforcing your professional image by creating a relationship with them i think networking is about obviously relationship but that also takes the pressure off of like, oh, I need to figure out how to talk to all these important people. No, it's just about like sending them a picture. You know, I've sent people pictures. Hi from Brussels. I was playing here tonight. Hope you're well. How's your daughter? Those tiny little moments done every month, two months, three months, suddenly it's like, oh, I heard that somebody at a pianist I recommended you. Like your network is going to open so many doors for you. So proactively, intentionally engaging with people. That's a good strategy. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, also, put in simple terms, I agree about marketing, which is putting yourself out there. Uh, something that helped me with marketing myself was, again, storytelling, right? Because it's a term that um, can have a negative connotation when it has some incentive of um, steering the public opinion towards something, yeah. right? But it's also about telling your own story. So when I, when I started thinking about, well, you know, what do I want to show to people on my social media? Basically, a musician, a guy who came from Eastern Europe, Moldova, and is trying to make something out of his musical career and of this thing that I'm doing, being an accordionist and all of my different passions, because it's not only I am an accordionist and that's my identity. Just many things. And with networking, something I would add as well, I agree with the social media part and reaching out to people. Sometimes um, it's very hard for, for me to actually get up and say, okay, now I'm going to this concert. Maybe it's one hour away, two hours away. But some people I know are organizing the event or some people I know are playing at the event. So some... Some of the best networking opportunities that I got were actually by, you know, going to a concert, saying, okay, I'm getting up, I'm preparing myself, and I'm just going to go. Yeah. And, yeah, that's also like being, also some colleagues maybe for teaching at a, at a music school, at a conservatory, just grab a coffee with someone and talk and discuss, or, you know, at the meetings or after the meetings, just have a lunch together. It's also an enjoyable moment. Yeah. 100%. In my opinion. One thing I wanted to ask you, but I'm not sure whether it makes sense or not, because we, we were talking about the kind of self-managing. Managed or self-managed? What would be for you the um, kind of, what's your take on it and what's your role? Being busy as you are, have you considered taking on a manager and or an assistant, because I, I was about to say an agent. But, you know, in Europe, as you know, manager and agent are interchangeable terms, although in North America, they would be two different roles. So manager is someone who has a vision for you, for your career, and an agent would be someone who books you gigs, basically. So in your case, um, how do you see it? And would you consider a manager or do you like being self-managed i have self-managed out of necessity i think i would totally love to get picked up by a manager i haven't looked into it properly or like pitched for it or anything um but yeah 
But my understanding is that they're also looking for people who have some kind of established career already, um, especially in the you know singer-songwriter world that I'm stepped into now. If I got uh, management there, because of course their network, they can open you up to so many new people that you don't know. Plus, I just like don't have the energy or time to be doing that, all of that business side. I mean, I've done it to an extent, but it's like at some point you want to scale and that's when you can really bring someone in. So my opinion is you should be your own manager until you get to a point where it makes sense to bring someone else in because they're obviously going to take a cut and they want to make sure that you've got a following already so that they can just blow that up, not build you from scratch. Unless you're like yeah. 15 years old and you win the competitions, then I think that's when they can come in and really shape you and mold you for the the big stages from a, from a young age. But when you're, you know, doing the traditional route, um, I think you have to learn how to manage yourself in the beginning. Definitely. Yeah. I was, I was thinking about this, um, last week and yeah, at some point, because it's a manager, it's not a life savior or a career saver who will do miracles. Right. At one point they have maybe a vision. They would say, well, it would be nice if you collaborate with this, 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 and I have the contacts, the right contacts yeah. to make it happen. Mm, but yeah, not knowing anything about business or bringing people in or creating a fan base or interacting with your fan base, that's risky. I mean, if somebody would come to me and say, hey, I did only like five concerts in my entire career. Can you manage me? Uh, it's a lot of work. And I mean, you also need to be doing a lot of work on your side. So. Yeah. You know, yeah, Bernhard Karras has in. a great book, Be Your Own Manager, and uh, he's got great courses also about just like learning all of these skills. I think that's super important to just have a basic understanding of, you know, building a fan base, how to engage with fans. This is something classical musicians aren't taught, and it's so crucial because I have friends with management, and they still have to do a ton of work in building their social media followings and putting content out there. So in some ways it's still pretty similar from what I can, from what I can see. But of course, like it would be, it would be nice to have someone come and share some of this business work. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I had, I, I have a colleague who actually told me that he had a manager for like two years and he said that he had even more work because he had to manage the manager and continue asking him, did you, did you send that email? Did you write to that person? Did you call that person? That's so it was even, he, he thought it would be less work. It was even more yeah, yeah, work yeah. afterwards. Yeah, exactly. And then of course it depends on who is your manager. Are they doing a good job or not? Do they know the industry? Do they, can they actually help you? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think nowadays there are ways of actually being more flexible and free with self-managing and, you know, choosing your own road and path. And I think the essential question is why am I doing this and what do I want to achieve yeah. through yeah. it? So, Michelle, final thoughts after this very inspiring conversation. What would you like to see more of in the current musical landscape? Um, I would love to see... Or what would you like to see less of, maybe? Oof, less judgment, <laughs> less criticism, mm. um, less tearing down people who are being brave. You know, these negative comments, things we were talking about earlier. Um, I'd like to see more people coming up with their own projects and you know, finding funding to actually make them happen. I think that a lot of people have great ideas and, and finding a public to come. It's not that people aren't necessarily interested or that they wouldn't want to come sit through a concert of whatever the idea is. It's just that it takes so much to build up fan base or people who are going to come to these concerts. So 
if there was a way to just make it easier to have, you know, funding accessible and audiences accessible, um, you know, one miracle that's happened in the music world, I think, is Candlelight uh, concerts. They started three years ago. They are now global. They have sold millions of tickets. Um, and they have understood that you, to get an audience in the door, you need data, you need stats, you need an offer that is going to sell. And that's just something that the classical world doesn't really do very well. I mean, I walk into these shows and, and there's hundreds of people there who have been marketed to with the strategy, you know, and it's not just that it's easy listening film music because a lot of the big orchestras are doing film shows and I don't know if they're selling out as well as Candlelight is um, because they are, you know, everybody tells me like their Instagram and TikTok is spam full of Candlelight ads. I mean, they just, they spend an enormous amount on advertising and it's working and they, they have a great strategy behind this. So, I think if classical musicians could be like, oh, I want to do this Stravinsky program and bring in some dancers and like art and all this stuff. There's so many cool ideas that people are having and they just don't have the, the systems or the abilities to make it happen, to execute it. And I think that would be so great to see more abilities in that way. Yeah, and I think it's also about the experience that one creates because I'm also seeing a lot of his con uh, candlelight concerts. Yeah. I also applied because I didn't know it was possible to apply, so I applied yeah. for that as yeah. well. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I think we need to shift from the mindset the concert is just going, just quote unquote, because it's not just going on the stage and doing your best. But it's also about the environment and how you how you market it, how you promote it again with the data. And you would need a team because, you know, you and me, we have 24 hours in our day. We need to practice, do our job, get some food on the table, then do some social media and then also study data analysis and then study marketing. And I mean, it's, no. you know, at one point, again, you just need a team or a system yeah. that would work. I so, agree 200%. Yeah. 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 Well, Michelle, it was amazing talking to you. Thanks a lot. Uh, where can people find you? I will surely put the links in the description of the episodes, but if you'd like to briefly tell us where we can Yeah, find sure. You. Instagram is my place that I hang out. This is Michelle Lynn is my handle. And then the Fearless Artist Mastermind is our coaching company. So those two places. Amazing. Great. Well, thanks again for being here and best of luck for your future concerts. Thanks so much. It was great to chat with you. Thank you for listening to this episode. Reach out with comments, suggestions, listen to the other episodes if you haven't done so yet. Feel free to reach out to me on social media, send in an email. You can also send in a voice message if you'd like. The link is in the description of the episode right at the bottom. If you'd like to support the podcast, if it brings value to you, if you find it helpful and useful and entertaining or whatever the reason, there's also the option to support the podcast with a small donation, monthly donation, or as a listener did a while back, um, you could also book, for example, a virtual coffee with me and have a chat about whatever it is you are doing. Maybe I'm the right person to push you in the right direction. You never know. Thank you again for listening and see you in the next episode.